The Insurance Coffee House is hosted by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies, brokers, and insurtechs in the UK and across the United States, attracting and retaining the most successful leaders to your insurance business. To find out more, visit insurance-search.com. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and be inspired by the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dafer Santo Mieri. Dafer is the co-founder and COO at Steadily, who are a landlords and property investment insurtech based in the United States. And it's a pleasure to have Dafer join us from Kansas City this morning. Welcome to the show, Datha. Thank you, good morning. Datha, great to have you on the show. Really looking forward to hearing more about Steadily. We've previously interviewed one of your colleagues there, Max McClure, and excited to see how the business has developed in the last 12 months. Before we get onto that though, Datha, as we are in the insurance coffee house today, what is your go-to coffee of choice this morning? Believe it or not, I don't drink coffee. I'm an anomaly uh, or tea. So if I go to Starbucks, I'm going to have a double chocolatey chip frappuccino because that's the best thing there that doesn't have coffee in it. Nathan, I'd love to share with our audience a little bit more about your career background and what led you to co-founding the business steadily. So if you wouldn't mind sharing with our listeners a little bit more about that. I'm the insurance nerd in our trinity of founders. I've spent my entire career in the insurance industry. Actually, when I was in college, my part-time job, I got hired as a bilingual agent at a local auto insurance agency. And I didn't expect to go into insurance. But when I graduated from college, Geico heavily recruited in the university that I went to. And so they ended up recruiting me into their emerging leaders program. And I spent two and a half years training in every part of the business. I did a rotation through sales, service, underwriting, claims, HR. And then I I ended up getting pulled for the business planning team. So I got to spend six months putting together Geico's business plan for the coming year. And at the end of that rotation, I became a service supervisor. I decided it wasn't for me. Uh, It wasn't something that I enjoyed. And so I got recruited again by a company called Brown & Brown, which is a large international brokerage firm. And they recruited me into their internal audit program. So that was a a two-year program where we, we flew around the country and we would audit the individual offices that Brown & Brown owned and really dig into their files, learn their business, learn their processes, and then make recommendations for best practices, ways to avoid e compliance, things like that. And so within that role, I learned everything about insurance because they had retail offices, they had wholesale offices, they had dozens of programs and MGAs and services. And so really got under the hood of the insurance industry. And I spent 10 years with Brown and Brown just kind of building my career. And I eventually became a a regional insurance operations leader. 
And I had the opportunity to leave the company and I, I just really loved the company and I wasn't enjoying what I was doing, but I loved the company. And so I went to them and asked, what if I came and did for you what this other company is trying to hire me away to do? And they said, okay. So they created a job for me from scratch. And then I was supporting 19 offices around the country, helping them roll out technology, figure out how to be more efficient, streamline their workflows, go paperless, just anything and everything under the sun. And from there, I got tapped on the shoulder to move out here to Kansas City and lead a lift out that QBE was giving Brown and Brown of a, a large program where we had to figure out how to build out the technology, how to build out the operations, go do the filings in all states. And so in that, I really got deep into the MGA space and learning how these programs are structured and how operations work. We must have done a good job because two years later, um, another carrier, QBE, gave us another program. So I led that implementation. And then by the time Darren approached me, I was the director of the project management office for all of national programs mm -hmm. at Brown. And Darren started calling me, uh, Darren, my co-founder, asking me questions. He was close to wrapping up his earnout. He had sold his last company to Indeed. And I knew he was probably looking at starting his next venture. And he turned his attention to insurance because he was frustrated with 15 properties that he owned going out and getting insurance on them. He was expecting mm -hmm. to find a really modern experience like you have with auto or home. And what he found was it felt like 1995. You had to call a bunch of different agents. You had to wait days sometimes to get a quote back. And he just couldn't fathom why nobody was fixing this problem. So he started asking me questions. What would it look like? How would a person go about fixing this? You know, what's a program? And I was happy to share advice. It was it was not on my radar at all. But after a few months, his line of questioning started to get deeper and deeper. And it dawned on me. He was about to ask me to co-found this company with him. And when I told my husband that, I was like, I think Darren's about to ask me to co-found. And he's like, well, what do you think about that? I'm terrified. I'm an insurance person. I'm very risk averse. Yeah. And the idea of going out on my own and, and doing something that could fail, that was mm -hmm. terrifying. Mm -hmm. But more that I thought about it, there was never a question in my mind. Mm -hmm. I was never going to say no, because mm -hmm. being on the ground floor of creating something from scratch mm -hmm. and building it with your own hands and seeing your fingerprints all over it, there's mm -hmm. nothing like it. I made the decision after 10 years with Brown and Brown to take a leap of faith and step out and start a new company with Darren and David. It sounds like the perfect opportunity and, you know, alignment from your experience. So having that background, auditing all those insurance businesses, building out those MGA programs, that's something that you've done, albeit as part of a bigger organization. It sounds like that you were ready and you, you had the skills, you had the experience to be a great co-founder aligned with your other two founders there. That discussion that you had with your husband and also reflecting internally, how did you weigh up that risk of moving from a corporate firm into an unknown entity and building a business from scratch? How did that decision making sort of come about? Well, I had the added complexity of I had just found out I was pregnant with my second <laughs> child. I hadn't even announced it to um, our families yet. I told Darren, 
I said, are you sure that this is the right time to do this? Maybe we should wait until after the baby arrives. And he said, no, we, we have to strike while the iron's hot. It's time to go now. So I jumped in with both feet pregnant. I was finishing up a 7,000 square foot flip that I had done myself. And when I sat down, you know, and I calculated and I thought, okay, let's model out worst case scenario and best case scenario. I'm an insurance mm-hmm. person, right? This is, this is how yeah. I go about things. Let's model yeah. the risk. Worst case scenario, we had a seed round. We we raised $4 million in a seed round. So we had 12 to 18 months to prove our concept. And from that, we had nothing. There was no team. There was no product. There was mm-hmm. nothing. There was just this idea that we had that we thought we could solve. So I said, 12 to 18 months, we can prove our concept. At the end of that, we may fail. We may not prove our concept and there may not be a business need for this and we can't build a business on it. So what happens then? I had a standing invitation, open door to come back to Brown and Brown. If things didn't work out, I left on very good terms with them. Even if I didn't go back there, I knew that I would have grown as a leader and as a professional in terms of what I had learned and things that I would do that I had never had to do before and exercise new skills and develop new talents. And so if I had to go up back out on the market, it would be okay. 10 years with one company and then 18 months trying to do something new, I wouldn't have any trouble stepping into another role. So that was worst case scenario. And that didn't sound too bad to me. Um, Best case scenario was we do this thing. We build this company. We establish ourselves as the market of choice for real estate investors. We take Mm -hmm. this company public and Mm -hmm. dreams come true. So when I sat down and I weighed the pros and cons, it was heavily in the the pro bucket. So there was no looking back. And I love the way that you weighed it up like that and looked at it so positively. Often in the work that we do, obviously attracting insurance executives, insurance leaders from those big organizations into maybe more of a mid-market or a startup culture can seem really daunting and like a big risk. But I think that's such a great point. You know, the worst case scenario normally is you can lick your wounds after 18 months and go back with a lot more experience than you had before and be an even greater asset either at the previous firm or other similar companies. We've seen it across the last year with the layoffs happening you know, in the insurance industry with those large organizations, actually, there can be layoffs, a line of business or a particular region's closed down. You can be out no matter how well you're performing. And I think actually sometimes at a smaller insure tech uh, startup, you can be a bit more of an author of your own destiny and you can actually be more in control of whether that's successful or not, rather than, you know, lots of different lines of business where, you know, one day they might just decide that some efficiencies are coming along and that's the department to go. So I think that's a great way of weighing up and it's obviously paying dividends so far. Moving on to the business, obviously found the business together as a free, different experiences, different backgrounds, very complementary skill set and expertise there. How is the business going? Maybe if you share with the listeners a bit more about what you do, what the solution is you do provide for those landlords and those property investment individuals and institutions. What's the solution to the problem that you're looking to solve there? Things are going fantastic. Um, Steadily is doing great. We are growing. We just closed our Series B earlier this year. So we've raised 60 million in capital at this point. Our team is over 100. So we're firing on all cylinders. And the solution that we brought to the table 
We wanted to make sure that real estate investors, no matter where their property was or what type of property they had, could come to a single place to find somebody who could help them and who could do it quickly. And so what we have rolled out is Steadily does have a a product of its own that's available for select markets and for select products. But we also have very strong relationships with retail partners. And what that allows us to do is virtually anyone who comes to us with any type of rental property different conditions, you know, different uses. Some are using it for short-term, some are using it for long-term. We have fix and flippers, fix and renters, um, just very nuanced, different types of investors. They can come to us. And even if our own product isn't a fit, we will simply pivot to one of our partners who does have an appetite for that type of business and who can bring a, a quote to the table. Now, they may not always like the premium, but we will bring them a solution. And so our job is really about aligning the right risk with the right carrier, the right program who has an appetite for writing that type of business. And that's certainly where we've won because somebody can bring us a a whole portfolio of their properties and we can pull together different solutions to bring them one program that is going to solve the needs for all of their properties that's distributed across different carriers. Um, So it's worked very well and it's why they continue to come back to us. And we continuously improve our technology in terms of how we're making that available to customers online in terms of the user experience, how fast they can get to a quote. Um, Our sales agents during the hours of 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., they have three minutes to respond to a customer. That's our goal is that when a customer is on our website, they're going to hear from us within just a few minutes of being on our website. And that's why we're winning. We're fast. So from a customer's perspective, there's a steadily product tailored for them. And then if they have a risk of their property sort of outside of that appetite, you almost then act like a broker to find them an alternative solution so that you can forward a package together, put forward a program for that particular investor. So our goal is to meet a customer where they want to interact. If they prefer to come to us directly, we do have a direct channel. And then we do have all of these retail relationships that that are very strong. We also have an independent agency distribution. So customers who prefer to do business with a, a brick and mortar local agent in their area can still get access to Steadily's programs by going through those agents and those agents getting an appointment with Steadily great business and been following your success over the last couple of years i know one of the keys to that success is the way that you hire talent and the way that you look at talent across the business very much a ultra high performance culture that you've built there can you care a little bit more about that and why that's been important to you there we had a theory when we were starting steadily, which has turned into our philosophy for hiring. We have a culture deck that we put out there for everyone who applies to steadily to look at. And that theory was, what if we could hire a company that was only made up of 90th percentile team members, that was only made up of people who were absolutely stellar and excellent in their role. How much more could we accomplish if everybody on the bus was firing on all cylinders and was exceptionally good at what they do 
And that has been our our hiring philosophy since day one. When we bring somebody into the interview process, that entire interview process is designed to figure out, are they the person or the few people who Mm. were carrying the weight for their whole team at the Mm. other company because Mm. they could outproduce them? They would go above and beyond. They were the ones who would take that personal ownership and personal responsibility Those are the type of people that we endeavor to hire into every single role. And so then as a result of having that type of person in every single role, we can accomplish far more than Mm -hmm. the average company could with just Mm -hmm. having average people. And we've had the benefit of being able to pay for that. We scrimp in other areas. You know, our leaders, we don't fly first class. We fly basic economy. (laughs) Like we check our bags because we don't want to pay for checking bags. We save money in other areas so that we can put all of our money into paying people the max that we can so that we can attract the very best people in their fields. And so as I think back over the last three and a half years and how much we've accomplished in such a short period of time, I credit so much of it to the caliber of our team and to the talent density here at Steadily because we're able to move mountains with far fewer people because of the fact that everybody in their role is exceptional and they are that 90th percentile. And don't get me wrong, it's really hard to maintain talent density, especially as we've started to scale But we absolutely refuse to just put bodies in seats because we need them. We will continue to strain and bleed even in a role because we're insisting we have to have that person who's 90th percentile and we haven't found it yet. So we're going to keep this role open until we find it. Um, So it can be painful sometimes, but it pays off in the long term because if you drop that bar, then very quickly your, your talent density starts to go downhill. That's fantastic. It's so interesting, so inspiring to see. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be really inspired to hear that. Across the industry, Talent acquisition is one of the biggest challenges for a lot of insurance companies, and that goes for InsureTech just as much as traditional insurance businesses. And sometimes those compromises are made. Sometimes it's a case of, you know, if you don't have too many people going through the door, you've got to deal with what you've got. How have you managed to attract such good quality candidates and maybe presume quite a high quantity of candidates as well so that you can vet those candidates and really weed out the true a player talent that can be a real challenge if you don't have the quantity either of candidates available so we did an analysis about a year ago we found that it was easier to get into harvard than it is to get hired at steadling so we invest very heavily in getting applications in the door, because we know that we're going to have to look at a lot more applications to kind of pull the ones that we believe are 90th percentile. And we we recruit through a combination of uh, sourcing, you know, those organic applicants who are coming to us or we're driving them to us. I personally do recruiting. It's not out of the ordinary that somebody is going to get a personal message from me. Hey, I came across your profile and I was impressed and I'd like to chat. I take people locally out to coffee if I think that they might potentially be a fit for a role that we have open. I'll just say, hey, can I treat you to coffee here in, in Overland Park? Even if they're not a fit now, 
it doesn't mean they're not going to be a, a fit in the future. So just kind of broadening my network. We think about weeding out the B and C performers from the from the A players. We've made a lot of investment, even in our own time and our own energy, into making sure that we are hiring the best of the best. And in that interview process, that we're separating the best from those who can just do the job. And it's multifaceted. We want to know that they're they're comfortable with Steadily's culture. So we talk a lot about our culture deck in the interview process. And sometimes people bow out of the interview process after they read our culture deck. Obviously, we're bummed when we thought a candidate was stellar and they are not in line with our culture. We wish that they were, but we actually celebrate the fact that they realized ahead of time that they weren't going to be a good fit because had they joined, they would have been miserable in our culture and we probably would have ended up parting ways eventually. So we we celebrate that and it does happen. And it doesn't even mean that somebody isn't a good team member. They're not a good person. They're not a good employee. It just means that they think differently than we think. It's our goal to attract people who our culture resonates with them and they love it. One thing that we do is every single role gets a case, a case study of some sort at some point during their interview process. And we can't go and buy that off the shelf. It is completely tailored to our business. Um, We put a lot of time and energy as leaders into building these cases and fleshing out what is it exactly that we want to look for in these cases. And the cases are designed to give somebody a real world expectation of what it's going to be like to work here at Steadily, what the job is going to entail so they can make a decision for themselves. Am I going to be happy doing this? Do I want to do this every day? Do I think I can be excellent doing this? But it also gives us a chance to see their work product. What kind of work product can we expect from this person? How do they think about things? How do they solve problems? And those have been extremely helpful in helping us weed out the types of team members that we don't necessarily want on the team and we tweak it. So if we have a hire that ends up not working out, we go back to the case and say, what did we miss in this case? What should we have asked that we did not ask that caused us to have a failed hire? And then we make tweaks going forward. I think sometimes candidates can find asks like that as part of the interview process quite onerous but i think because you're being so purposeful about it and you're sharing with them your culture deck from the start and you're being honest and open saying look we only want the top 10 percent. these are our expectations that's really going to attract the right sort of person to the business and just by that process will naturally weed out people who say actually maybe this isn't right for me and that's great and that's great to know at that stage so it's really important that testing so important so that they're not brought in under different expectations and find out on the other side that it's not quite the right fit so i think your process is outstanding so i'm sure there's people who reach out to you sort of want to see if they're in that top 10 percent. people should be proud when mm. they get hired steadily because yeah. we so we are so exacting and our standards mm. are so high we have had candidates who halfway through a, a case have mm. called us i decided this is not yeah. for me like, okay, bummer, but great. We're so glad you figured that out. Now the case is doing exactly what it was intended to. And you're right. It is a, a time commitment for yeah. the person, um, for the candidate. But I think they also see that it's a major time commitment for us. I, as one of the co-founders, I still meet every single candidate 
in my downstream because I want to know who they are and who is joining our company before they come on board. And so when they when they have that case and they get to the final stages of the interview process, they're meeting often with multiple leaders. And so that's that's a huge time investment for us. I spend so much of my calendar is spent interviewing people and, and mm-hmm. talking to people, but it's worth it because by doing so, we are able to keep our talent density high. And so it's an investment that we decided early on we were willing to make. Bringing people in, particularly you're well aware on the insurance side of things, you know, people are normally from, you know, large organizations who've got deep pockets. And if that person is an A player, they're going to be paid well. They're probably even going to be offered more when they go into handing their notice. So the fact that you prioritize those expenses to invest into the salaries and the benefits that you can offer to those candidates, I, I think is fantastic. It's a great priority, but it sounds like your time is also prioritized around that. So putting a lot of time into interviewing and building a ultra high performance team. Data, it brings us on to the espresso round now where the questions are short, sharp and to the point. Neither of us actually have coffees today, which is very unusual for the insurance coffee house. But are you ready for the espresso round? All right, let's go. The espresso round. Dave, what would be the one recommendation you have for somebody, particularly a leader, someone from the insurance industry, coming in to interview there steadily? Make sure you know the culture deck inside and out. If you don't like the culture deck, you will not like it here. Is that something that you send out to candidates ahead of that first interview? Something you're very purposeful about that? We send it, the recruiter sends it uh, before even the initial screen. And I can't tell you how many people get to me and say, oh, I don't think I received that. Mm, let me go look. I also recommend now they listen to this podcast as well, because they're going to have a very good idea before they reach out and apply for any roles. Looking across the industry and at some of your peers, some founders of other insure tech businesses, what would be your one piece of advice to them? In terms of best practice for hiring, so for hiring A players, what would be that sort of one key crucial piece of advice if you're looking across the insure tech world? You have to prioritize money to pay them. You need to give them stake in what you're building. So I don't know that all startups do that. Every team member here at Steadily who joins from the leaders to the individual contributors receives every in the company as part of their offer, because we want them to be personally invested in what we're building. They're not building it for us. They're building Mm. it for themselves as much as for everyone who's here. So that would be my suggestion is give them stake in the game and prioritize giving them money in their pocket over all of the other benefits, because people value those differently. You know, some people it doesn't mean that much that you have foosball tables in your office or that you're offering pet insurance or things like that. What they really think about at the end of the day is how much money do I make? We prioritized giving people as much money as we can versus those kind of ancillary benefits and perks that people don't value as highly as they do cash. Great advice for other founders and also to those CPOs, talent acquisition leads who are looking to build teams very quickly final question the espresso round what's the most important thing to you when using an external recruitment partner to hire so clearly ultra high performers finding those top 10 percentiles those a players what's the most important thing when selecting a partner to bring you candidates of that quality 
I would say probably their network outside of LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a very powerful tool. And I know it's where a lot of external agencies focus their search. But the reality is I can search LinkedIn. Our recruiter can search LinkedIn. We can find every candidate who's on LinkedIn. What we want from an agency is the candidates who aren't on LinkedIn. Find us the millions of people out there who are stellar in their role, but they're so busy they don't have time to get on LinkedIn. Find us those people because your network is so broad and deep that you have a virtual Rolodex of people that you can call that we have no idea exists because they're not on LinkedIn. That's what I'm looking for from an external. Value add to you as an organization, those people that you can't get in front of yourself. Data, I can't believe it. Time's gone very quickly today. We're almost at the end of our time today. Before we go, do you have one piece of closing advice for our listeners? And if there are insurance executives, insurance professionals out there now thinking it sounds like a great opportunity at Steadly, what's the best way for them to either reach out or see what roles you have? If anyone wants to see the roles that we have open today, just go to steadily.com backslash careers. That's where you'll find all of our open roles. If you're interested in Steadily, but you don't see a role that fits your particular experience or skills. That doesn't mean that we won't in the future. And so we have an initiative apply that's just to capture those people who say, I love your company. I'd love to come work here. I don't know where I fit. Here's my resume. We really do look at that. When we have a new role, we'll go through and we'll kind of scan through, okay, who's applied? Who do we have here that we could potentially reach out to who's already indicated their interest in the company? So it doesn't just go nowhere. We will hold on to that and reach out in the future. My other advice is don't ever burn a bridge. This is a small industry. And when you get the opportunity to interact with somebody, even if it doesn't work out today, we try to treat every candidate with respect, respect their time. Even if we're saying no for today, it may not change into no in the future and your situation may change in the future. And so my suggestion is be careful not to burn a bridge when you're talking to an organization, even if things don't work out the way you expected to. Resist the urge to send that scathing email, um, <laughs> letting them know how you feel, letting us know how you feel about us deciding to go a different direction because you just never know when things are going to come back around and there might be an opportunity in the future yeah so important i would add that to recruitment partners as well you know don't burn your bridges with your recruitment partners you never know what opportunity they'll be approaching you with next data thank you so much for your time today it's been absolutely fantastic i think our listeners will get a great understanding of the culture that you're building there you really are building a rocket ship there at steady so thank you for your time today it's been great to have you in the insurance coffee house it's a pleasure good to talk to you thank you Thank you for listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time for another episode packed with insights and advice for senior leaders, C-suite executives, and ambitious insurance professionals. Stream all episodes at insurance-search.com.